We're going to read from the book of Luke, chapter 7, verse 18 to 35. John's disciples told him about all these things. Calling two of them, he sent them to the Lord to ask, Are you the one who is to come, or should we expect someone else? When the men came to Jesus, they said, John the Baptist sent us to you to ask, Are you the one who is to come, or should we expect someone else? At that very time, Jesus cured many who had diseases, sicknesses, and evil spirits, and gave sight to many who were blind. So he replied to the messengers, Go back and report to John what you have seen and heard. And the blind receive sight, the lame walk, and those who have leprosy are cleansed, and the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is proclaimed to the poor. Blessed is anyone who does not stumble on account of me. And after John's messengers left, Jesus began to speak to the crowd about John. What did you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed swayed by the wind? If not, what did you go out to see? A man dressed in fine clothes? No. Those who wear expensive clothes and indulge in luxury are in palaces. But what did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes. I tell you, and more than a prophet, this is the one about whom it is written. I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way before you. I tell you, among those born of women, there is no one greater than John. Yet the one who is least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. And all the people, even the tax collectors, when they heard Jesus' words, acknowledged that God's way was right because they had been baptized by John. But the Pharisees and the experts in the law rejected God's purpose for themselves because they had not been baptized by John. Jesus went on to say, To what, then, can I compare the people of this generation? What are they like? They are like children sitting in the marketplace and calling out to each other. We played the pipe for you, and you did not dance. We sang a dirge, and you did not cry. For John the Baptist came neither eating bread nor drinking wine, and you say he has a demon. The Son of Man came eating and drinking, and you say, Here is a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. But wisdom is proved right by all her children. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Jay, for reading. Good morning, everyone. So uh, I'm going to dive into Scripture in a moment and, and tackle that passage, but I just want to give a quick update on that refugee video that you just saw. We showed it for the first time last Sunday, and uh, we kind of decided, well, look, because there will be some people in church today who weren't here last Sunday, we need to play it again. And, and our logic was we would probably need to play it for sort of t- three, four weeks almost. Uh, things have moved at light speed. So our appointed refugee that we're supporting, supporting and kind of transitioning into life in Canada arrives on the 25th of September. So that's kind of, uh, you know, when we got our email this past week to confirm that there were a whole lot of us kind of getting, you know, heart palpitations and our head in a spin and, and like, oh, what's going to happen? But praise the Lord, uh, we have found accommodation for her. So we have a place for her to stay for the first three to four months while we help her figure out what life looks like in Canada. 
and while we help her transition into life here in Canada, there will still be a whole bunch of needs and a whole bunch of areas that you can support and be involved and help out with. So I would encourage you to keep an eye on the website. We do have a little page in there and we'll kind of update that as we're going. We'll probably update it with a list of things that we need, uh, at least for the first few weeks and first few months. So if you are kind of saying, hey, I, I'd like to be involved in this, I'd like to be a part of what's going on and, and like to help support in some small way, then I would encourage you to keep an eye on the website and we'll take it from there. As we now dive into scripture, I have a question for you. Now, I know sometimes I make you ask the person next to you a question or say something. I'm not going to do that now, so don't panic. You're not asking anybody anything random. But I want you to think for yourself for a moment, what is it that you deserve? What do you think to yourself, well, I really deserve this? Now, please don't get all kind of high and lofty or super spiritual or, or moral as though Jesus were listening to your answer. I mean, he is listening to your answer. But when you find yourself in that, maybe that dark place or that frustrated place or that angry place or that disappointed place, what is it you say to yourself, I deserve this? Kind of where this is coming from is I was watching TV the other day and uh, they were interviewing a professional poker player. And this guy had bust out in the final table of one of the World Poker Tour kind of, you know, big events. And this guy has won millions of dollars in poker earnings through his career. He's played poker for decades. He's got countless titles and rings and uh, trophies and all the things that come with it. But he's never won this particular series. And everyone's kind of going, you know, what's wrong with you? You've got all these others, why not this one? And in the interview, in his anger and in his frustration, he said, I deserve to win. And of course, that got me chuckling because I'm like, poker is essentially a game of luck based on the cards you're dealt. I mean, sure, there might be some skill what you do with that, but it's luck anyway. How do you deserve anything? But as I look at that, I think to myself, wait a minute. There are times I catch myself saying, I deserve. We were watching Dylan's soccer team yesterday uh, as they were playing, and they lost. And I caught myself saying, they deserve to win that. Like, well, if they deserve to win it, they would have won it. <laughs> what is it that you think or you believe you deserve? Many people would say, well, I deserve to be happy. I deserve to be healthy. I deserve to be well off or at least better than what I am. I deserve to have something better of what I've got. Maybe it's a, a better car, a better house, a better job, a, a better wardrobe. It, it, it doesn't matter, but I deserve to have more than what I have. I deserve to have recognition, accolade. Now, if we're honest... When we struggle with what we believe we deserve to have, it's very easy to redirect that frustration to God. And to say, well, if I don't have it, it's because God hasn't given it to me. And if God is good, surely he can just snap his finger or, or change the circumstances and I can get what I believe I deserve. If God is good, why don't 
I have this. And of course, when we get to that point, we might start to deal with some doubts, maybe even some disappointments with God. What do we do with our doubt and with our disappointment? I know that this morning, for most of us in this room, we've had seasons of doubt, seasons of disappointment. What do we do with those feelings, with those emotions, with those responses? The passage that we've just read from from Luke chapter 7, where we are introduced to John the Baptist in prison, shows us how to deal with doubt and disappointment. That passage that we just read has a number of sermons in it. So for some of you, you might kind of go, well, Brian, you've missed this point, or you've missed this verse, or I wish you had focused on that. Maybe one other day we'll do that. Today, I want to look at the life of John the Baptist and answer the question, how should we deal with doubt and disappointment? Right up front, as I say that and as I look out at a congregation as mixed and as varied as this, I know that in, a, in this congregation, we cover the entire spectrum of faith in Jesus Christ or belief in God. I know that out here this morning, there might be a few of you who go, well, actually, I don't believe in God. I'm only here because my spouse dragged me here and I'm trying to keep the peace. And you might say, well, if you pressed me, I'm an atheist. There might be one or two of you here this morning who go, you know, I do believe in God, but I'm not convinced, I'm not sure who God is or, or even what God is. And so while I have this, this kind of belief, it's not your faith. You might use the title, well, I'm, I'm an agnostic. Some of you might go, well, I used to believe in God, but then something happened. And you know what, I'm not sure anymore, and, and, and I'm kind of just in the process of rejecting that. Some might go, yeah, I believe in God. I believe in Jesus. But I I haven't drunk the Kool-Aid to the same extent you have, Brian. You know, like, I'm I'm fully okay with it. But, you know, you're just, you're a zealot. And then some of you are zealots. You're the disciples of Jesus Christ going, you know what, I believe. And and not only do I believe, but it's shaped my life. And it changes the way I interact with the world. It changes the way I view circumstances. And it changes the way I live my life. So we're across that spectrum. But one thing I know, each of us have had moments of doubt and disappointment. And I want to say to you this morning, if this is the only thing you hear this morning, doubt is okay. I know some of you up in the balcony may not have heard that. So let me repeat that. (laughs) Doubt is okay. Doubt is okay. Uh, Some of you might be going, hey, um, why so serious, Brian? So I was at the Orange Tour conference this past Friday with a bunch of uh, Sunday school teachers and some others from the church. And Orange Tour is a children's ministry environment that kind of helps equip churches for children's ministry. And in one of the breakout sessions that I attended, uh, this leader, the person speaking and presenting, kind of spoke about how when children walk away from the faith, and, and this could be true for anybody, actually, the conference was for children, but when people walk away from the faith, most often one of the key reasons is not because they had a doubt, but they were told in their doubt that doubt is not okay. We don't allow doubts here, and we shut those down, and you can't engage with doubts. And so they've kind of gone, well, then I I want no part of this. I'm here to say to you this morning, doubt is okay. What do we do 
in our doubt and disappointment? How do we respond to doubt and disappointment? How do we live with doubt and disappointment? John this morning speaks to us and gives us an answer. You know, John the Baptist is struggling. John is, he's in prison, which is a far cry from where he was a little bit before that. John was the prophet, the, the Elijah that was to come. John was calling people to repentance and crowds were flocking to him. His ministry was successful, at least by human perspective. People would come and he would baptize them and call them to repentance and he would rebuke the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. But because of the way he had spoken to uh, the, the ruler of the time and challenged him in his marriage to his wife that was unlawful, John gets thrown into prison. And so John's in prison and his disciples are still visiting him. They're still ministering to him. They're still caring for him. But they're talking about Jesus Christ. The one that John baptized. The one that came up to John and John went, this is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And even in that interaction, we read in the beginning of the Gospels, John says, I'm not worthy. I can't do this. And Jesus says, no, you are. I need to be baptized to fulfill. And so John does that. And I wonder what John experienced emotionally through that season. But now, John finds himself in prison. And so his disciples say, hey, you know what? Jesus is doing all this stuff. So John kind of goes, okay, I need to find out. Are you really the one? Because maybe if you really were the one, I wouldn't be in prison right now. And this morning, if you're dealing with doubts and disappointments, this is the first step. This is the first key. This is the first thing John does with his doubt and disappointment that I wish all of us would learn and put into practice. The first thing John does is he goes to the Lord. Okay, now, don't get pedantic. I know he doesn't go because he's in prison. But he sends his disciples. He takes his doubt. He takes his problem. He takes the question that is so blunt. Are you the one? Or should we expect somebody else? He goes to the Lord. That's how we need to deal with our doubts. So often for many of us in the midst of our doubts and in our disappointment, we run away and we go away from the Lord. When in fact the very place we should be running to is to the Lord. Look how Jesus responds. He doesn't get angry at the blunt question. He doesn't get angry at the insinuation that Jesus, you know what, maybe you're powerful and doing some incredible things, but you know, I'm not sure you're even the Messiah. He doesn't get upset with that. In fact, he credits John the Baptist. He builds him up in front of everyone else. And when he says to the crowds, who did you go see in the wilderness? Not an entertainer, not somebody with fancy clothes. You didn't go see some celebrity. No, you went to go see a prophet, the Elijah that was to come. So Jesus reaffirms John, reaffirms his ministry. He doesn't get angry. He doesn't get upset. This is how Jesus responds with our doubts. Go to the Lord. You know, as I talk about going to the Lord and as I talk about dealing with doubts and how Jesus responds so gracefully, I have to point out 
The most famous doubter of all, doubting Thomas. You know, I'm sure Thomas had a lot of good credits in his life, and he did a lot of great things. He doubts once, and he gets the nickname Doubting Thomas for the rest of history. But Jesus appears to the disciples. We read about this in the, uh, the final parts of the book of John. Jesus appears to his disciples, and Thomas is not there with them. And so when Thomas meets up with them afterwards, the disciples are telling him, Hey, Jesus was here. Yes, he was crucified and he was buried, but he's resurrected and he, he came back and he revealed himself to us. And so Thomas says, I, I just, I can't process that. I, I don't believe you. And unless I see him, and unless I put my, ha- my fingers by his holes and my hand in his side, I, I won't believe. And then we read a few verses on, a little later, they're gathered together and this time Thomas is with them. And Jesus comes and appears to them again. And he goes to Thomas And he says, Thomas, put your fingers in my hand. Put your hand in my side. See, it's it's me. And then he says to Thomas, stop doubting and believe. I I love the the IVP translation of that and the way it unpacks that in the commentary. It, It says, stop being doubting and start being believing. And I know that's terrible grammar, but I love the image. Because the image is an image of progression. It's an image of journey. Stop becoming, stop being unbelieving. Stop heading towards that journey, or sorry, that destination of unbelief. But instead, move towards, become believing again. What do I do with my doubts? I take them to the Lord because I know he's big enough to handle my doubts and disappointment. And I know that he will operate in grace and he will extend love and mercy to me. Learn to call on the Lord. Martin Luther, the reformer, says this. He says, you must learn to call on the Lord. Don't sit all alone or lie on the couch shaking your head and letting your thoughts torture you. Don't worry about how to get out of your situation or brood about your terrible life, how miserable you feel and what a bad person you are. Instead, say, get a grip on yourself, you lazy bum. (laughs) That's why I love this quote. This is Luther. Luther was not afraid. Get a grip of yourself, you lazy bum. Fall on your knees and raise your hands and eyes toward heaven. Read a psalm. Say the Lord's Prayer. And tearfully tell God what you need. What do I do with my doubts and disappointment? I go to the Lord. But then as I go to the Lord, the second thing that we learn from this interaction of John dealing with his doubts and disappointment is not only does he go to the Lord, Jesus then instructs him To look around. Jesus gets this question and Jesus doesn't reply by saying, yes, I am the one. You don't need to expect somebody else. And Jesus says, okay, look around. Look at what's happening. Go back and report to John what you see as you interact with me. I'm reminded of the comic strip, Hagar the Horrible. Anybody know Hagar the Horrible? Okay, I see a couple of hands there. This incredibly lovable Viking. 
but there's this, there's this comic strip where Hagar, the horrible, is actually praying. And he's d- dealing with doubts. And he, he says to God, uh, he says, it's not easy to believe in you, God. We never see you. How come do you never show yourself? And then in the next few frames, we see a, a flower spring into life next to Hagar, a, a volcano erupt in the distance, an eclipse of the sun turning the sky black, a star shooting across the night sky, a, a tidal wave rushing over Hagar, lightning flashing, a bush on fire, a stone rolling away from the entrance of a tomb. And then in the final frame, Hagar's pulling himself up out of the mud, he's dripping wet. And he's he, surrounded by darkness and he says, okay, okay, I give up. Every time I bring up this subject, all we get are interruptions. <laughs> I just love that. All we get are interruptions. Just step outside. Take a look around. See the image, the fingerprint of God and the beauty of the world. Listen to, to the voice of God in the cry of a child. The evidence is all around us to just look. And not only to look in nature and, and yes, uh, the great incredible beauty we see around us, but to look into the lives of other people. This is why from time to time we share testimonies in church. Because so often in our doubts and disappointments and in our circumstances, it might be really difficult to see God because He's not moving or we believe He's not moving in our lives. But that doesn't mean He's not moving and not working. And so we listen to testimonies and they remind us that God is still at work. God is still doing something. Look around. Look around. And that's what Jesus says to John's disciples. Look around at the evidence. So we go to God. We go to Jesus. We look around. And then the third point I think that Jesus gives to John in response is Jesus suggests that perhaps look to Scripture to overcome your doubt. Jesus responds to John's disciples in part by quoting the Scriptures. He quoted a passage of Scripture which deals with prophecy. And and as these prophecies are now being fulfilled, though not entirely and not fully, but they're starting to come together. So Jesus is jogging John's mind with scripture. He certainly knew that John was aware of those Old Testament passages regarding the Messiah. So Jesus pushes John to scripture to help him overcome his doubts. My friends, as you deal with doubt and disappointment, allow that to push you into scripture. An author that I really enjoy is Ravi Zachariah. Many of you will know of Rabbi Zechariah. He's a Christian apologetic, uh, apologist. sorry, And so that's somebody who gives a defense of the Christian faith, who makes a case and argues and debates and speaks into why we believe what we believe and why we understand what we understand. You know, Rabbi was not always a Christian. In fact, by his own testimony, Rabbi was an atheist. He came from a family that had a bit of an Anglican background, but he himself was an atheist. And he tried to take his own life. And at one point in the midst of all of this, and, and he was unsuccessful, obviously, uh, he's in hospital. And his mother's next to his bed. And a, a Christian came into the room to just pray and share a little bit. And this Christian left the Bible behind and said to his mom, just read that to Ravi. And in fact, I would encourage you to start with the book of John. 
So his mother read the book of John to Ravi while he was lying in the hospital bed. And he came to John chapter 14. And in John 14 verse 19, it says, Because I live, you will also live. And that verse hit Ravi Zachariah deep. And so as so many people do in the midst of tragedy or in a hospital and in those places, Ravi prayed a dangerous prayer. He says, Jesus, if you are the author of life as it is meant to be and get me out of this hospital, I will not leave one stone unturned in the pursuit of truth. And of course, the rest, as they say, is history because God did heal him. And he carried through on that and has become a pursuer of truth because he went to the scriptures and he allowed his mind to be open to what God said in the scriptures. Now I know that, yes, there are parts of the scriptures that are difficult and that we have to engage with and we have to debate and, and even some of the parts of scripture might lead us into more doubts. That's okay. Doubt is okay. But as you go to Jesus, as you look around, don't neglect the word of God. Go in to Scripture. John the Baptist was a person of strong faith. He was a forerunner of Christ. Yet he has the season in his life where he doubts, where there is disappointment. And he, he starts by being honest and goes to the Lord. He looks around to see the Lord at work. And he's referred to Scripture. Everything I've preached up to this point, I believe. Everything I've preached up to this point, I've practiced. But we're going to take a hard left right now. Because maybe you don't know the story of John the Baptist. Maybe you're sitting going, hey, this is, this is incredible. Here's this guy in, in prison who was a forerunner, who told the world, who proclaimed Jesus Christ. And then he's in prison. And he cries out. And he goes to the Lord. And I know if you've never heard this story, you're waiting for that, that moment of vindication. I've got really bad news for you. John the Baptist dies. In fact, we were talking about it in the staff meeting this past week. And I know many of you may not be aware, but every week we have an all-staff meeting. We discuss various things. And while we're in this meeting, Monica takes minutes and she's faithfully taps away the minutes while we're going. And, uh, and one of the ways Monica does it is she kind of just records what we're saying and then we'll neaten it up because that'll get sent to the board. And so while we're talking about this message and she's kind of taking some, some notes, I made the comment that um, you know, we grapple with what we deserve and we think we deserve so much more, but really all we get is death. And she typed that up and we looked at that up on the screen and went, Okay, maybe you want to delete that line before we send that off to the board. <laughs> but that's what John gets. John goes to the Lord. John looks around. John knows his scriptures. And John still loses his head. At the beginning of the ministry of John the Baptist, or in the beginning, when Jesus is baptized... John's disciples slowly start following Jesus. And one or two other disciples come back to John and they say, hey, people are following this Jesus guy you baptized. And John says with great faith, he must increase and I must decrease. Because the story is not about me. 
It's not about what I want. It's not about my dreams and goals and my life. It is for Jesus Christ and his glory alone. John remained firm in his faith right up until his death. I share that with you this morning because as I preached earlier, that's what I believe. If you're in the midst of doubt, if you're in the midst of disappointment, I would implore you, take that to Jesus. Cry out to him. And as you do that, look around at what God is doing. Refer and dive into scripture. But if you may feel like, well, it's not changing, I would implore you, don't lose your faith in Jesus Christ. Though it may cost you your very life, he is still doing something incredible that is able to bring glory to him. And there will come a day, I am assured of this, when we will look back and it will make sense and we'll praise him. Let's pray together. Jesus, this morning as we read of John the Baptist and how in prison he wrestled with that doubt. Are you the Messiah? Are you the one to come? Or or should I expect somebody else? Jesus, I thank you for what we learn from John's response in the midst of that prison, in the midst of that doubt and that disappointment. That we're invited to come to you, not to run away. And Jesus, as we come to you, as we cry out to you, as we raise our hands and fall on our knees and weep. Thank you that you invite us to just look around. Sometimes we're so eager to just look at ourselves and just look inward and it's all about us. Jesus, you invite us to look up. And look out. And when we do that, we see you at work. We see you doing incredible things. And so, Father, in the midst of that, I would ask, help us by your Holy Spirit to keep coming back to your word. To keep coming into scripture and wrestling and grappling with where we're at. Even in our doubts. And God, my prayer, my heartfelt cry is for anybody in that season. That place that may feel like a prison. Indeed, I pray God free them from that prison. Let them experience joy and gladness and redemption and goodness. But yet, God, not our will. Your will be done. May you receive glory regardless of the circumstances. For you are God. You are King eternal. We pray this in our matchless Savior's name, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen.